Welcome to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there is anything in this message that you would like to talk about further, please go to our website, www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org. Now let's listen to Pastor Dave Crocker. Well, over, as I said, the the month of February, we've been um, talking about vision. Last week, I I spoke a message um, about the, I guess, the ethos, the the foundation of, of what we believe. And I talked about a couple of weeks ago, vision being a clear mental picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. I said, everyone gets somewhere in life and some people get somewhere on purpose. Conversation last week was around the idea that our why that we do things is more important than the what that we do. So so the why uh, is our ethos. And an ethos is the, the characteristic spirit of a culture, an era, or community is manifest in its beliefs and aspirations. Our, our ethos drives how we do things. Over the last couple of years as an eldership, we've uh, crafted uh, five um, different ethos statements, and I call them our, our five pillars of our ethos, and, and they're these. Firstly, we're Christ-centred. A life that is centred on Christ actively pursues relationship with God, lives to bring him glory. Discipleship focused, we talked about transformation takes place with faith and action. Kingdom-minded, we choose to live lives surrendered to the will of God by acknowledging the work of God and living life the way Jesus teaches us. Community-hearted, our community will be better because we exist. And the fifth one was relationship-orientated. We seek to create an environment that reflects our desire to be a family. And our goal is to align our programming, the things that we do, with who we are as, as a group of people. I unpacked the first two of those last week. Firstly, Christ-centered. We talked about living lives that, that bring Christ's glory, that, about allowing our roots to go deep into him, about what we do being orientated around who he is. I talked about uh, the second one, our, our disciple, that we're discipleship-focused and and our belief that transformation takes place with faith in action. It's not just enough to have uh, to, to hear words. We have to do something about it. Jesus never taught for, uh, for, for people to be full of knowledge, but he preached and he t- taught for transformation, for people to put faith in action, to do something with the message that they heard. And that is, is a focus for us as a church, that we don't just come and hear a great message on a Sunday, but we do something with what it is that we're hearing and learning. So today I want to talk about uh, the final three pieces of our ethos. So third one is that we're kingdom-minded. I'll read that again. Kingdom-minded means we choose to live lives surrendered to the will of God by acknowledging the work of God and living the life the way Jesus teaches us. I, I don't know if you've ever stopped and thought, what was the purpose of Jesus coming to earth? If you've been in church for a while, your immediate response will probably be, he came to bring salvation. And, and of course, that's true. His death and resurrection uh, enabled us to be restored to relationship with God the way that God intended. 
the burden of, of sin and the, the punishment for that sin was dealt with by Jesus on the cross. But bringing a message of salvation wasn't the sole focus of Jesus. In fact, it probably wasn't even the most important thing that he spoke about in his emphasis while he was here on earth. Jesus came with the exciting, the dynamic, and the powerful message about the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 3 tells us about John the Baptist, and, and, and it talks about what he said in, in relation to Jesus. So I'll just read a few verses there. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. When John was declaring that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he was talking about the fact that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God through the life of Jesus was about to break out onto the earth. The kingdom of light invading the kingdom of darkness, spreading through the whole earth. Kingdom that Jesus brings leads the transformation of lives, of communities, of nations. And I love how John finished that, that segment, prepare the way of the Lord. He was quoting Isaiah, who was a prophet and foresaw uh, the, Jesus, the Messiah, walking this earth. And I love that encouragement that we're to prepare the way of the Lord, to make his path straight. We, we have a, a role in it's the establishment of the kingdom of God here on earth. Understanding that the kingdom of God can, can be a, a, a bit of a thing to get our heads around, but the first key is understanding that there is a way of the Lord. Jesus has a way of doing things. It was so dramatically different to other people of his time that when Jesus spoke, people took notice because it was in complete contrast to what they'd been taught. As a church, we did a big series on the Sermon on the Mount and we looked at the Beatitudes and all that kind of thing. And during that, we learned that Jesus, his message was completely radical in that way of thinking and actually completely opposed to what the religious leaders, the Pharisees of the day were teaching. Jesus had a new way of doing things. He, he would say things like, we're supposed to turn the other cheek. There was a thing written into Roman law uh, at the time that a, a Roman soldier could ask you to, to carry his cloak and, and legally you had to carry it for a mile. And Jesus goes and says, don't just carry it for one mile, carry it the extra mile. Jesus saw things very differently to how religion taught things of the day. And it was a compelling message to love our enemies. I, 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 I still struggle to get my head around that today. How are we supposed to do that? How is it that, that those that are, are bent on my destruction, I'm supposed to show love towards? It's the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17 says, From that time Jesus began to preach and say, this is right at the beginning, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That is the introduction of Jesus' mission here on earth, the establishment of, 
of his kingdom. Mark 1.14, it's just after that passage in Matthew with John the Baptist that I talked about. It says, now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the kingdom of God. When Jesus is working with his disciples and he's, he's teaching them and, and they ask him, Jesus, teach us how to pray like you pray. One of the things Jesus said to pray is your kingdom come, your will be done. With the advancement of the kingdom of God, Jesus brought forgiveness from our sin. He, he bought miracles. He bought healings. And I guess the way I look at it, when, when the miraculous happens, when something like that takes place, the kingdom of God is invading the kingdom of darkness. And things are being realigned with the kingdom of God. God's intention is not that we would have sickness, disease, brokenness in our body, but that we would have, have a, an abundant life, be able to live life to the full. Sometimes because of the nature of the world we live in and, and sin in the earth, there is brokenness and there is pain and there is suffering and decay and death. But when the kingdom of God intersects with a situation, things get realigned with the kingdom. Healings take place. In view of the, the kingdom of God, the cross is not an end in itself, but it's a means to an end. According to John chapter 10 and verse 7, it says, Jesus is the door of the sheep. It's referencing us as followers as sheep. The whole point of a door is that it leads somewhere. It, it, when a door is open, it allows access to something. And that somewhere is the kingdom of God. He brought a, a reconnection with the Father and a reordering of our lives according to his rule and his reign. And, and that is how we would define the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, where he is in charge, where things happen his way. As we follow the ways of Jesus, we're aligning ourselves with his kingdom. Guess a question I could ask this morning is, are you a part of God's kingdom? The question's answered by identifying what's the most important things in your life. Yes, if the kingdom of God is the, the rule and reign of, of Christ, uh, whose will are we carrying out? Is it our will? Is it the will of Jesus? See, someone believes in God, Bible, Jesus, but living, is living for themselves actually not a part of the kingdom of God. Being kingdom-minded means we're about our Father's business. We choose to live lives surrendered to the will of God by acknowledging the work of God and living life the way Jesus teaches us. The, the next part of our ethos is community-hearted. Our community will be better because we exist. I think this is of primary importance to us. I think there is a biblical mandate for this right back the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12, 
and beginning in verse 1 and following verses, talks about what, what God spoke to Moses. And he said that you're blessed to be a blessing. And that applies to us. We are blessed not so that we can have more stuff, not so that we can have a better life, not so that things feel and look good for us, but that we can be a blessing to other people. We're supposed to be a channel of the blessing of God. That's what it means to be part of the family of God. That's what it means to be part of the kingdom of God, that we are blessed in order that we can be a blessing. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we lead a blessed life. Sometimes it feels like we're the ones that need blessing. And that's going to be true of all of us at different times. We all need the blessing of God. We all need the hand of God. There are all times that we can struggle But no matter how bad I think I have it, I always seem to find someone who's in a worse place than me. And that means that I can be a blessing to them. Blessing isn't just about specific things. It can take a whole realm of ways of doing things. As a church, we're determined that we are going to be a blessing to our community. I've said it before, but I think the saddest indictment on a church is if they were to close their doors and stop meeting and nobody in the community would notice. I think as a church, if we stopped doing the things that we do in the community, there would be an absolute hole. People would notice. The question would be, where are we? Because we, as a church, do make a difference in our community. We are active out in the world. We don't just come together in, in, in these four walls and it's all about us. We exist for our non-members. Probably the only organisation on the planet that exists for those that aren't a part of it. We want to be a blessing. We want to make a difference in our community. For us as a church, that doesn't mean meeting every need. Now, there are plenty of incredible agencies doing great work out in the community. Some are churches, some aren't. We're not trying to replicate what other people are doing, but we're asking ourselves, where are the holes? What are the needs that are unmet? We want to partner with those that are doing great work to strengthen what they do. The Bible has a lot to say about the kind of life that is reflective of us being community-hearted. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. We're to use whatever gifts we have. You may not have much, but you have something. We're to take that which God has gifted us, and that that can be uh, spiritual gifting. It could be in the natural. We might have an ability to do something that can be a, a help to someone else. We're to use whatever gift we've received to serve others. I love the Bible's emphasis on it always being about others. It's so easy to to make things about us, about our lives and, and what really matters to us. I think God's gently pushing us always to think of others, people around us, friends, our family, our neighbors, those that we come in contact with, because we carry this great message of hope. We have been given things by God in order that we can be a blessing to others. 
James chapter 2, verse 14 to 17 carries on the theme. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. We're supposed to do something with what we have. One of the great things about Christianity is that we can't earn our salvation. We can't work for it. There's nothing that we can do that's going to help us get it more than accepting who Jesus Christ is. He lived and died and rose again. It's a free gift from God. We don't have to work for it, and that's what separates us from a lot of other belief systems. But while we don't have to work for it, we do have to work. We have to do something. We have to be active. We can't have this faith and keep it all bundled to ourselves and do nothing about it. We've got to take what we have and be a blessing to those around us. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that. Not only are there good works for us to do, God's prepared them in advance. There is someone or a situation out there right now that's waiting for you. God has prepared you and that situation for you to do something. We're not asking you to do everything. We're not asking you to be at everything and commit to everything, but I'm asking that we would live lives that think of others first, that we would consider what it is that God's given us, where his handiwork, in other words, he's created us, he's molded us, he's shaped us, he's gifted us, he's prepared and placed us to do something. One of my favourite verses in the whole Bible, Micah 6, 8. He is showing you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, walk humbly with God. Such a loud call for us as a group of people to be active in our community to be socially aware, to meet needs as we are able, as God has gifted us. So this is a call for us as individuals, but it's also a corporate call for us as a church that that we've been blessed in order that we can be a blessing to others, that that we have been gifted and and graced to do certain things so that we can be a blessing to others. It's not just about us. One of my Favorite churches on the planet is a church called Life Church in America by a pastor by the name of Craig Rochelle. If you've got uh, a Bible app on your phone, chances are it's come from that church. One of the things that they've done, and it's incredible, is they've taken what God has given them and they've used it to bless the entire body of Christ. They give everything away the resources and messages and things that work for them, they just give it away. They've been blessed and they haven't gone, how can we expand what we do? How can we put on more staff or, or, or do more? How can we create resource or generate income from this stuff? They've gone, you know what? We're blessed and we're going to be a blessing. 
and they just simply give it away. I love that. Really understanding the grace that is upon them and what God has called them to do. As a church family, we're determined to be good neighbours. Not only love God, but we're going to love others as well. We'll treat people with the dignity that they deserve. We'll not consider ourselves better than anybody else. We'll seek to make a difference. We will not consider just our members, but our non-members. As much as I think about the people in this room and, and what matters to you, also think about those that aren't a part of the life of this church yet. What matters to them? And, and what can we do to make it easier for them to engage with this message about Jesus Christ? We, we keep our non-members at the forefront of our thinking. Finally this morning, relationship orientated. We seek to create an environment that reflects our desire to be a family. At the very beginning of the creation narrative in the book of Genesis, we have an image of God as a relational father, created the heavens and the earth. He made Adam, and then he, he crafted Eve and, and gave Eve to Adam. And I kind of see this picture of a father giving away his bride. Decided declared it wasn't good for man to be alone. It's the heart of a relationally driven God, walking in the Garden of Eden, desiring to be with Adam and Eve. We don't have access to God quite like that anymore, but the, the snapshot of what we see in Eden before sin entered the world is a picture of God's intention for us. It's a picture of what things will look like when his kingdom is fully established here on earth, that that relationship will be intimate. It'll be like walking through a forest with someone that you love and having conversation with them. That is the kind of thing that God loves, for, loves and wants for us. So the pages of the Bible, we, we see a story of, of this, of God, and the Old Testament tells a story of a people, the Jewish people, and, and God was their God. Then we transition through to the New Testament, and we see that God is no longer the God of a people, but a God of all people. His desire is that all would know this message. And the ultimate expression of a relational father is seen in John 3.16, God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him may not be lost, but have eternal life. So the church, this church is an organisation, but it's a unique organisation in that one of our functions, our most important functions, is to be relational. We want to create environments where we can encounter the reality of Jesus as Saviour, of God as Father, and that we would be able to do life together. So the church is built on the great commandment, vertical and horizontal axes of the cross, that we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind and strength, and love others as ourselves. The church grows as it fulfills the great commission to take the good news into the world Make disciples of all people. 
We're convinced that relationship lies at the heart of these two mandates of the church. Jesus said some really confronting words. John chapter 13 and verse 35, he says, By this all men will know that you're my disciples, if you love one another. You'd think in a church that's founded on the love of God, people that follow this God of love, we would get this right every time. Sadly, we don't. Sometimes we have conflict where there doesn't need to be conflict. We, we argue and we're dissatisfied and, and we, we become opinionated and we want things our way. And God is saying, Jesus said clearly, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. It's the way that we love each other. It's, it's grace overload. Yep, you, make, you might make a mistake. I'm going to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. But grace says, you know what? I love you anyway. My relationship is more important than being right all the time. Others will know that we're his by the way that we love each other. And I want us to get better at doing this. I want us to be people that seek relationship first. That we would see ourselves as a family. When we're thinking of a new program or a way of doing things, we want a reason from family. In other words, we want to stop and ask, if we are a family, how would we do this? How would a family do this? Not an organisation, not even a church. How would we do this if we were family? What would that look like? There's a lot of room to go in this and growth to happen and learning to be done. But we want to be a church that is the family of God. 2 Corinthians 6.18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Matthew 12, 49 to 50, stretching out his hand towards his disciples, Jesus said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, sister, and mother's mother. Ephesians 2, 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God. Galatians 6.10, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. And in case you haven't got it yet, 1 Timothy 5.1, do not rebuke older men but, men, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters. We're a family. For good or bad, we're a family. One thing I discovered in my family is I didn't get to choose who my family is. I wouldn't have chosen my brothers. I would have chosen someone else. But I got what I got. We're a family. Families don't always get it right. And in life, in society today, we often have bad pictures of what families are and families can be incredibly dysfunctional. But we want to grow together to view ourselves as family. Worship team, you can come join me. So the five pillars of our ethos, Christ-centered, discipleship-focused, 
kingdom-minded, community-hearted, relationship-orientated. Those are the foundations of who we see ourselves as a church, the kind of things upon which we will build what we do because it comes from who we are. We may not be great at all of them yet, but we're going to continue to grow together, to learn, to discover what it is that God would have for us. So here's an action point for today. How can you align yourself with the kingdom of God this week? Maybe each day, ask yourself, how do I honour God in this situation, in this relationship, in this meeting at work? How do I do things the way God might have me do it? It's a great place to approach things from, asking not how I might like to do it, but God, how would you have me respond in this situation? God, what would it look like to do this your way? I think if we start asking those questions, we start aligning ourselves with the kingdom of God a lot more. Let me pray for you. God, thank you that your heart towards us is a heart of love. God, that your desire for us is that we would be your family. Thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the cross. Thank you for the kingdom of God. God, we thank you. You loved us so much, you sent your son to die for us. God, that we don't have to earn that. You love us so much, you give it to us as a free gift. And God, we stand in that today. The gift of your son, Jesus Christ. The grace that is upon our lives, the forgiveness of our sin. God, the mercy that you show us. We thank you for that this morning. God, help us to be a group of people that would love one another. God, beyond our differences, beyond our mistakes, beyond our brokenness and our dysfunctions, beyond the way we think things should be, could be, God, help us to love one another. Help us to make that a number one priority in our lives. That others would know that we follow you because we love each other so dearly. God, where there is broken relationship, where there is conflict, God, I pray you'd bring healing into those situations. God, you'd minister to our hearts if we're carrying offence. God, that we would, in you, be able to let those things go. View each other with the love that you've called us to. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Penrith Church of Christ. If there was anything in this message that you would like to talk further about, please go to our website on www.cofcpenrith.org. That's www.cofcpenrith.org.